Welcome to Sunday after Christmas. I'm not sure if you guys are as exhausted as I am. I've been through four family Christmases in the last six days. And I'm ready to move into the new year. And I don't know if you guys are there, if you guys are still enjoying all the things from Wednesday, or if you guys have just been waiting for this holiday season to get over. But we're going to move forward this morning. So would you join me in prayer as we see what God has for us today? Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for another Sunday to come together. God, thank you so much for giving this opportunity to worship with fellow believers, to be encouraged by one another and to hear your words, which really are the true hope that we have in this life. God, this morning, would you minister to us? Whatever stage of life we are right now, would you minister to our hearts? Would you give us hope for the future, courage for the moment? and fortitude to get through whatever is in our way and whatever's coming up. God, we love you. Thank you so much for leading us in life. Thank you so much for being our guide and continuing to fight the battles that are in front of us. In your name, amen. My name's Joe. It's very nice to meet you guys if I haven't met you already. Uh, I lead the youth ministries around here. And every once in a while, I get an opportunity to preach to you guys. Pastor Jeff is in Colorado Springs uh, this weekend with his wife. They are doing a wedding for Sean and Heather. If you guys know Sean and Heather here from church, they got married last night. Very, very exciting stuff. So that's where they're at. They'll be back here next week. Um, But this morning, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about moving forward. And I wanted to jump in a little bit on what it means to fight battles in our lives. So we're going to talk about that a little as we jump in this morning. Um, As I mentioned, one of the things I got to go through this past week was a whole bunch of Christmas parties with family. Don't get me wrong, those were great things. It was a a great opportunity to get together with family and friends, uh, have an opportunity just to catch up on life. A lot of my cousins I really don't see too much, so it's a great chance for me to just kind of catch up on how they're doing and what's going on. But I tell you what, Christmas can be a lot sometimes. It's just, it gets a little exhausting. And yeah, last night, after I got home late, and we were tired, and I was just like, I'm ready for a new year to begin. And Christmas season is just filled with so many things, really from, any more from Halloween up through December 25th, it's all Christmas related. And I don't know what type of traditions you guys have in your homes. Um, Things that we do, obviously, getting together with family and friends, going out for dinners, uh, exchanging presents. Um, One of the things we like to do from time to time is go to movies over the Christmas season. And I would imagine most of you in this room have seen some movies recently. Statistically, I'd be right in saying that. Uh, There have been a couple of big movies that just came out, whether it's Star Wars, if you guys want to go see that, Frozen 2, for everyone in the room that did not go see Cats, which it sounds like it's the entire country. Um, too bad for them, but movies have always been a big part of the Christmas season and the Christmas tradition. I've always been fascinated with movies. It's one of my favorite things as far as hobbies. After and I love to watch movies together, and I've been very interested over the years how Hollywood, how movies have had a fascination with Christianity, how movies are fascinated with different aspects of God and how they have created entire movies about biblical stories. Just recently, we've had movies about Noah, movies about Moses. If you go way back in the day, you got Charlton Heston and you have the Ten Commandments. Hollywood's always been fascinated with God. Hollywood's always been fascinated with Christianity. And I remember one of my favorite movies growing up 
was uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Has anyone ever seen that movie before? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great movie, really, really interesting stuff, all about finding the lost Ark of the Covenant of God, trying to track that thing down. And when you finally found it, the Nazis, the bad guys, they found it, they did a really bad job of opening it up. Big things happened, no good. I won't ruin the end of the movie for you, but it was not a good idea to treat the Ark of the Covenant the way they did. And I, I think that kind of happens a lot in life. We treat things of God in our own ways, and usually it doesn't work out so well for us. We take concepts of Christianity, we take concepts of God, and we kind of tweak them to try to fit in our little world, and usually it doesn't always work out that great. That's what was going on in this movie, for example. They found this Ark of the Covenant, this ultimate symbol of God, and they tried to tweak it, they tried to manipulate it so that it would fit their plans. And it didn't work in the movie at all. I'm not sure if you're familiar with what the Ark of the Covenant really is, but I wanted to read to you a little bit in Exodus 25 of what this thing actually meant to the Israelite people. So in Exodus 25, verse 10 down through 22, it says this, Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit high. There above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant of the law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. If you're not familiar with the ark of the covenant, it was a chest. And if you... Two cubits, one cubit, it's about an arm length is kind of what they're looking at. And it was a chest that God instructed the Israelites to make. And on that chest, God would literally come down and be present with the people of God. And to the Israelites, this was a huge, huge deal. It makes sense why throughout generation after generation after generation, there's been a fascination with the Ark of the Covenant, with God, because it's such a powerful thing, especially back then when the Israelite people would meet with God, he would be on the Ark. And it had such significance throughout the entire Old Testament that it changed the way that the Israelite people lived their lives. It actually changed the way that they went to war. It changed everything about their culture because they knew when they saw the ark, they saw God. And they had confidence like no other when they saw the ark because they knew in that moment that God was with them because he promised, I will be present with you. I will give you my commands while seated on the Ark of the Covenant. It was so important to the Israelite culture that they actually took the Ark and followed it into battles when they fought other tribes and nations. Check this out. In, uh, Moses does this in the book of Numbers. He takes the Ark and follows it into battle against Midian. Joshua does it against Jericho. King Saul follows the Ark into battle against the Philistines. Even King David sent the Ark in ahead of his armies to fight the Ammonites in 2 Samuel. Over and over and over again, people would follow the ark of God into battle. Why? Because they saw God on the ark, and they believed that he was present with them wherever they went. So why wouldn't you follow God into battle? And I want to stop right there and focus on that for a little bit, because this morning, I want to talk about what it means to go into battle together. We are on the verge of a new decade, folks. 2020 is right around the corner. And with every new year, there's going to be highs and there's going to be lows. There's going to be amazing adventures and there's going to be valleys. 
It's just how life goes. I wouldn't wish that on any of you, but the reality is every single one of us will have our own battles to fight in 2020 and in the decades ahead. We'll have exciting things to look forward to as well, but God can be with us in all of those. And I think there's something to learn here from how the Israelites follow God into battle. And how do we follow God into life? Sometimes I see a disparity between those because I know that I don't always follow God when life gets tough. I know for me, unlike the Israelites, when my life gets hard, I usually start to rely on myself or I pull back. I do several things that just don't make sense biblically. I don't follow God in the battle. And I took some time and I thought through a couple of things that I do I wanted to read them out to you, and I want to see maybe if you can relate to some of the ways that I fight battles in my own life without God. Sometimes I just get angry about the battle in front of me. I ignore the problem altogether. I steamroll over the issue, or I expect someone else to fight that battle. And sometimes I just give up. Now, I'm not going to do that all the time. Absolutely, I think there are times where we have a, a, a conflict or an issue in front of us and we, we handle it in a proper way, we resolve it quickly and when efficiently, yeah, I get that. But often for me, and I'm not going to speak for you, but for me, I really struggle sometimes when battles come into my life and what's up on the board I find myself doing, giving up, ignoring the problem, blaming somebody else for putting this situation in my life looking for someone else to take care of it for me. And that's, that's no way to live. That's not how we're supposed to go after life, especially as a Christian. How are we supposed to get there? I know for me, I've experienced this many, many times. I want to share just a quick story with you guys about a way that I handled a battle in my own life in a poor way. Several years ago, I, I was working in a, a different place in a different time, and I had a really great relationship with my boss back then. Uh, this would have been seven, eight, maybe ten years ago. So uh, for those of you in the room, quite a long time ago. Others, maybe not so long ago. But he was my boss. He was my mentor, and um, his name was Steve. And Steve and I had a great relationship for a long time. We knew each other 15 years. I grew up um, in the same church that he went to, and he actually worked at that church. And I had a great relationship with Steve for a long, long time. And some point about seven, eight, nine years ago, our relationship kind of changed, and what I realized was that Steve had stopped treating me so much as a friend and as a, a protege, a mentee, if you will, and he kind of started treating me more as an employee or someone that he could get something out of. And our relationship started to deteriorate, and we started to fight quite a bit. And I remember a couple of times, were just, it was really, really tough, where we got in these arguments that would go on for hours. I didn't know why. I didn't know why these things were happening. I realized many years later there were other things going on in his life, and he was kind of taking them out on people close to him, including myself. I, but at the time, I just didn't understand why Steve was treating me so poorly. And I didn't understand why he was making fun of me where he never made fun of me before, or why he was accusing me of things I had never done, or why he was insulting the way I was performing either at my job or in other parts of life. And it really, really hurt me. And all of a sudden, maybe like you, in the past or even right now, I was going through a battle. And that battle was in a relationship. And I realized very quickly with Steve that he was affecting me in a negative way. 
And I had a lot of choices to make. I could say, okay, well, I'm going to fight this thing in a number of different ways. How do I want to go about attacking Steve and getting back at Steve and responding to this behavior? Now, the right thing would have been to pray about it and ask God how to fight this battle, but I didn't do that at the time. I responded in a very negative way. I started spreading rumors about him. I started avoiding his phone calls and avoiding him at work. It got so bad where I would drive into the parking lot at our company. I would do a couple of laps around the parking lot looking for his car because I thought to myself, if I saw his car, then I was going to have a bad day. But for whatever reason, if he wasn't there, then it was going to be a great day. And if I saw his car, I would start thinking, is there any way I could call in sick one minute before my shift starts? Is there any way I could call in sick right now? What type of disease can I make up and call in with? Because I just did not want to be around him. And I found myself fighting this battle in a really, really negative way. And I am not proud of the way that I handled myself those years ago in that relationship. So I stand up here talking to you guys about fighting battles, and I hope you hear this, not from a place of superiority, no, but from a place of humbleness, because I have struggled with this type of stuff my entire life. Steve's just one example. But I often find myself ignoring a problem and procrastinating. I often find myself looking for somebody else to step in and fight. I often find myself getting angry when a battle appears in front of me. I am right there, if not below all of you, worse than all of you, I totally understand what it's like to fight battles in my own strength. And nine times out of 10, it doesn't work out for me. And I look to 2020, January is next week. And I am so excited about the year to come, but I also know there's gonna be battles. And there's going to be things we have to fight, and there's going to be things we're going to have to go through. And I don't want to be the same Joe that I've always been. I don't want to go after the battles in the same manner that I have in the past. I want to learn how to fight a battle in a godly way, how to fight a battle that would make God proud. It's not only for me, but for those around me. How do I follow God in the battle? There's something about the Israelites following God through the Ark of the Covenant following God into battle. There's something about that. How do we do that in our own battles in life? Well, I took a look at what the scriptures say, how God fights his battles. I may fight with procrastination, ignoring blame and anger, but he fights battles very, very differently. Check this out. Isaiah 42, 13. This is what it says, the Lord marches out like a champion, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal with a shout. He will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. At no point in my life with any battle I've ever gone through, I've ever felt like a champion marching out against whatever relationship I was in or whatever difficult circumstance I was in. I've never felt that way, but I read here that this is how God treats his battles. He marches out like a champion. With a war cry, he dominates his enemies. And then all of a sudden, it makes a lot of sense. If I lived way back then, if I was going to battle as an Israelite, you better believe I would want God in front because of the way that he handles his enemies. There is no way I would want to be going into battle without God back then. But then I look now in my present life, there is no way I want to fight a battle without God now. But for whatever reason, 
I do that. I find myself constantly fighting battles in my own strength, and I don't know why. Because when I see how God fights and how I fight, man, there's a big gap. We have got to learn to follow God into the battles of our life. That is my hope this morning. That is my hope for 2020 and beyond, that we learn to follow God into the battles of life. What happens if we follow God into the battles of life? Romans tells us, Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. If we are following God into life, all things are going to work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I want to take a second to kind of dive in on that verse a little bit because you may have heard that verse before and maybe it's been tweaked or manipulated a little bit so it doesn't actually mean what the Bible says it means. It's not saying all things work together for good for you. That may be a byproduct, but it's saying God works all things together for good, the greater good, the big picture good. He's working everything in life together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We have an opportunity, if we follow God, to be an ambassador, to be a warrior for good. So as a quick example, my situation with Steve yeah, if I would have treated it better, if I would have forgave him immediately, if I would have encouraged him or asked him just straight up, man to man, what's going on in your life that you're treating me so badly? If I would have had that one confrontational conversation with him, it probably would have changed our entire relationship. It may not have gotten better for me, but good could have been allowed to bloom in the relationship. Instead, what I did is I avoided him, I started rumors about him, I ignored him, I quit my job, and we did not talk for about seven years. I did not see him for a very, very long time. That's how I decided to fight that battle. But if we follow God into battle, he works those battles for good. Sometimes we benefit from it, but it's always for the good of the big picture, the good of the plan that he has for humanity, always for the good of us as a big group of people. That's what God is saying in that verse. And it's convicting me, even this past couple of weeks that I was getting this sermon ready, it's been convicting me that I want to be a vessel for good. I don't want to be that type of warrior that handles things in a bad way. I'm sick and tired of being defeated by my emotions, by my response to issues. I want to be a godly warrior, somebody that can come at a battle and change it for the better. I started looking around, and way, way back in the 1600s, the 17th century, there was a pastor, his name was Thomas Watson, and he came up with six criteria of what it takes to be a godly warrior, and this has actually been replicated and duplicated time after time after time in churches all around the world, and I want to share these six characteristics with you guys, because if you're like me, and if you're looking at your life, and you're like, man, I fight battles in a really, really bad way, and I'm sick and tired of it. Well, I want to share with you some hope because what he found in the Bible are six primary characteristics of someone that fights battles in life by following God into the fight. And I want to share these things with you because this could change your life this morning. Thomas Watson, he put these six different characteristics together. We're going to go through them two at a time. The first thing he said 
if you're going to be a warrior of God, if you're going to follow God in life, you're going to have to study God's word. You've got to get in the Bible. If you don't know the commands from the general, you can't fight the battle. You cannot get around that. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 say this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we're not in the Bible, we're out of the game. You cannot expect to win a fight if you don't know your commanding orders. And right underneath that, right within that, you've got to be able to communicate with your leader. You've got to be able to pray to your God. It says this in Philippians 4, 6, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Reading your Bible, praying to God, basic Christian disciplines. And I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for me. Too often, I find myself skipping these basic necessities to the Christian life. If you're not familiar with this type of stuff, or maybe you're not comfortable reading your Bible every single day, I would just encourage you, there are a lot of really easy ways to get started in 2020. Maybe make it a New Year's resolution. You can jump on your phone, download some apps. You can do reading plans through your phones. At our church, back at our church office, we've got Bibles for you that are easy study Bibles. We've got one-year Bibles. We've got something called the story, which tells you the entire picture of the Bible, the entire plan of the Bible. There are a lot of tools for you to get started becoming a warrior of God by reading your Bible. And if prayer is something you're uncomfortable with, if you've really never been much of a prayer warrior, if prayer is just not part of your life, don't feel bad. It's never too late to start. One thing that we always teach here at 3TC is the CPR method of prayer, which is really simple. If you're going to pray to God and you don't know how, you start out by confessing your sin, that's C, by praising Him for all the things you have in your life, that's P, and then by requesting whatever is going on in your life, requesting that God would help you and jump in whatever situation you're going through. That's the R, CPR. It's a really easy way to start developing a prayer life. This will get you on the path to becoming a godly warrior. The next two following that, meditate on God and on his law. It says in Psalm 1, blessed is the man, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And then right underneath that, set aside a day to remember God. In Ezekiel 20, it says, I am the Lord, your God. Follow my decrees. Pay attention to my regulations and keep my Sabbath days holy. They are a sign to remind you that I am the Lord, your God. You see, what Watson had figured out is the people in life that were strongest in their faith were people that routinely took time out of their days and their weeks to remember God. That's what meditation is. It's focusing on a thought or focusing on a thing in silence and allowing yourself to relax and sit on that concept God says, if you would meditate on my word, you're not going to walk with the sinners. You're not going to be tempted by those who are mocking my name, but you're going to know who I am. And the same way, if we can remember the Sabbath day, we can be stronger throughout our weeks, our months, and our years. 
I was going to speak to that just a little bit because I'm so grateful you guys joined us on this Sabbath day, our Sunday. But maybe Sundays are really tough for you. Maybe Sundays are a really busy day for you. If it works better for you to find a Sabbath day on a Saturday or a Friday or a Monday, I would encourage you to do that. If you need to find some time to just get to yourself and relax, always come to church if you can. But the reality of life is for you moms and dads, you grandmas and grandpas, people that work on Sundays, it's a busy day. We need to find a Sabbath. Sometimes it doesn't work on a Sunday. We need to find another way of remembering God and taking time for Him. If you want to be a warrior of God, if you want to follow Him in the battle, we need to start implementing regular ways of remembering Him, reflecting on Him throughout our lives. And then the last two that Watson figured out, number five, confess your sin. Psalm 51 tells us, Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. And then number six, control your words. James 3 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and yet with it we curse human beings who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth comes praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Man. That's a tough one. Controlling your words. Realizing that this may be the most powerful thing that you have in your entire life. With one word, you can give hope, and out of the same mouth, you can condemn. You can destroy life, and you can nurture life out of the mouth. And if we don't realize that our words have power, our words have impact, our words have value, then we are going to lose every single battle that comes our way. And if we don't have the humility to confess our sins after we've messed up. Because, hey, guess what? Romans 3.23, every single person has messed up. Every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If we don't have the humility to confess that sin, then we can never truly follow God into battle. Because we'll always be holding on to that source of pride, that source of shame, that sin. And we're never going to be fully devoted to God. I remember when I found this, uh, this Thomas Watson thing, I learned it in college um, back in the good old days. And I, I remember hearing my professors talking about that. I went to a Christian university. And I was like, these six things suck. This is ridiculous. Like, how am I supposed to do these six things every single day for the rest of my life? But what I've realized as I've done doing ministry and just being a Christian, the more you do this stuff, the easier it gets the longer you make a habit of reading your Bible, of using positive, encouraging language, of looking for opportunities to bless people rather than curse people, the more that I've done that, the easier it becomes. Not because of me, but because of Jesus inside of me. The more opportunities I give him to lead me, the easier it is to follow him. And that's really what happened with my situation with Steve. Like I told you, I really did a bad job in the beginning of handling that battle. I really thought it was unfair the way he was treating me, and I decided I was going to get my pound of flesh in that relationship. 
And yeah, I did say some pretty horrible things about him to coworkers and to some friends and some family members, and it was not cool. And I, I take full responsibility for that. And I did avoid him, and I did end the relationship, and I did quit. And I'm pretty sure I didn't give two weeks. I'm not positive, but I think that happened. It wasn't good. It was a really, really bad response to how he was treating me. I, I felt horrible about that. Sometime later, six months, maybe a year after I quit that job and I had stopped talking to Steve, I, I met someone else who taught me how to handle this battle, this particular battle, because relationships are different. Every battle is different, but this particular battle, he taught me how to handle it under God's authority. And he taught me that what I was doing was I was harboring unforgiveness and bitterness towards Steve. And I wasn't willing to forgive the things that he had done to me. So that bitterness and that unforgiveness had been growing up inside of me. And what was coming out was toxic. And he showed me in, in verses in the Bible, Matthew 7 and others like it, how I was holding unforgiveness against him and it was causing me to respond in a very, very bad way. And I realized that if I would just submit to what God teaches in the Bible, if I would just forgive him, it would allow my heart to start healing from the pain he inflicted on me. And I did that. And I, I forgave him. I took a look at all the different things he ever did to me, and I, I forgave them. I didn't have a conversation with him, but I forgave everything that happened in my heart. And I presented it to God, and I said, this is no longer my problem. It's your problem. I'm going to start praying for Steve. I want good things to happen in Steve's life. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to bless him. I'm not going to curse him. And years passed by. And this is why I want to share the story with you guys. It happened so long ago in my life, but something just recently happened to me with Steve. Two months ago, maybe a month ago, I was sitting in a coffee shop and was getting ready for a staff meeting here at 3TC. So we were all getting together at a little coffee shop. Somebody taps me on the shoulder. You better believe it was Steve. I couldn't believe it. It had been almost 10 years since I've seen this guy. The last I heard of him, he had moved down to Florida, and he was long gone. I thought I was never going to see him for the rest of my life. And I looked at him, and I was completely stunned. Like, so stunned that Jeff and Rick and Garrett, they're like, are you okay? What's going on? They were getting a little bit freaked out. And I could not believe that he was here in my face. And he had a smile on. He was like, how are you doing, Joe? And I got up out of my chair, and I was like, well, what am I going to do? And I hugged him. I couldn't believe it. I hugged him, and I asked him how he was doing. Sadly, his life has kind of gone downhill, and he's trying to rebuild it right now, but I gave him a hug. We talked for five minutes. I couldn't believe that the man that probably hurt me the most in my early 20s, I was able to turn around, look at him in the face, hug him, ask him how his life is, pray with him, and look forward to seeing him again. And all of a sudden, I realized Romans 8.28 is real. Because God is working things together for good, if and only if we are willing to submit to him. And I realized in that moment just a month ago, when I'm sitting in that coffee shop, that God had been working that relationship together for good. And when I saw Steve and I hugged him, you should have seen his face because he was so nervous to say hi to me, but there was no way he was going to get around me. It was a small little hallway. There was no way you could pretend like we didn't know each other, so he had to say hi. He was so excited that I actually responded positively to him because he, know, he, he knows exactly what he did to me, and I know exactly what I responded to him with. But we both clearly had forgiven each other, were able to hug each other, and go about our days. And God won. 
If nothing else, hear that. When we follow God in the battle, he wins. Hate didn't win that day. Cursing each other didn't win that day. Bad feelings didn't win. God won. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up, finish out our final song this morning. But I really want to encourage you guys. We have got a couple of days before 2020. January is right around the corner. We've got a whole new decade to look forward to. There are going to be incredible moments, opportunities for us to celebrate and exhilarating highs. But life happens, and there will be battles. We don't get to choose that. But we do get to choose is how are we going to respond to those battles. And I want to put up this last graphic up on the screen real quick. Because we are a cell phone culture, if you guys want to take a picture of this image right here, or if you just want to take a look at it and remember it, here's my encouragement to you. Those six characteristics, are any of those lacking in your life? Do you feel like you are not praying as much as you could? Have you ever meditated on God's word? Have you ever stopped either in your car or in a quiet room and just sat there quietly reflecting on what God's word says? That's what meditation is. It's a really cool thing if you try it. Are you finding opportunities to keep the Sabbath day holy? Man, my encouragement to you guys this day is that tomorrow does not have to be like yesterday. And 2020 does not have to be like 2019, especially if 2019 was a regrettable year for you. Let's learn to fight battles by following God.